Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles. We'll get going here in just a second. I didn't do anything, guys. Must be you. Okay, here we go. There we are. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Mark chapter 11 and Romans chapter 1. Mark chapter 11, Romans chapter 1. Jesus is, uh, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus has cursed the fig tree. The next morning they come by and, and um, um, the disciples heard him the day before. When they cursed the fig tree, he said to the tree, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. Next morning they come by and Peter, seeing the fig tree, calls to remembrance and said, Lord, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them in verse 22, Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Now, different translations will translate this in different ways. And, uh, and one of the difficulties in New Testament translation is that the original Greek doesn't have prepositions the way that we use them in the English language. So times, sometimes prepositions or words that are translated in could just as easily or rightly be translated of or to or, or some other uh, alternatives. And so um, it's really important that you look at the context in, in many cases to identify what the preposition is. E.W. King used to say salvation is contained in the prepositions. Because a lot of times where the prepositions are translated one way in the King James, uh, an, an alternate meaning brings out a whole new truth of what uh, belongs to you in Christ. So anyway, other translations hold this in different ways. One translation says, have the faith of God. One translation is, um, uh, summarizes that. Uh, it's, well, it's really not a uh, translation. It's a paraphrase. It summarizes that at, uh, by saying, have the God kind of faith. Well, some people have a hard time with that because that seems to take license with the paraphrase. But what kind of faith would God have? What kind of faith would be the faith of God, if not the God kind of faith? I don't think God has different kinds, do you? So the faith of God would have to be the God kind of faith. So Jesus is very simply explaining what caused the fig tree to dry up from the roots from the day before when Jesus cursed it. And that is faith, this thing called faith. It's the same measure of faith that the Bible says God gives or deals to every one of us, which is a measure of the God kind of faith. You have a measure of the God kind of faith. You have a measure of the faith, the kind of faith that created the worlds. You have a measure of the kind of faith that Jesus used to heal the sick and to cleanse the lepers and to raise the dead and do all the miracles that he did here on the earth. You have a measure of that same kind of faith. It's not that your faith is, is um, uh, insufficient or deficient or second class in any way, you've got a measure of the same kind of faith that Jesus used here on the earth. We need to think about that and think in those terms. Jesus never said, well, here's how faith works for me, but don't expect it to work like, you, like this for you. No, Jesus always said, you'll do the same works that I did. So Jesus is explaining something about this faith. He says, have faith in God or the God kind of faith. In verse 23, he describes and explains what that faith is and how it works. He says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say. So notice the first and foremost thing that Jesus uses as his explanation for faith. The same faith that you have in a measure. The same faith that God used to create the worlds. The same faith that he used to do miracles here on the earth. He said that that faith starts first and foremost with your words. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Interestingly, most people start thinking about faith in terms of believing. But Jesus said faith starts with saying. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And here's the conditions. And shall not doubt in his heart. Now, without taking a lot of time to talk about what the heart is, let me just define it for you in, in uh, scriptural terms. Peter talked about the hidden man of the heart. 
So he's got to be talking about the spirit. The spirit man who's hidden from the five physical senses. So when he says shall not doubt in his heart, he simply means shall not operate according to the five physical senses. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not operate according to his five physical senses, but shall believe in his heart, in his spirit, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice one of the first things Jesus said about faith is it won't always look like it's working. That's what throws most people off right there. Because they'll pray the prayer of faith or they'll speak something in faith and it doesn't look like it's changing. It doesn't look like it's getting any better. And so they immediately think, based on the circumstances, based on what they see, hear, or feel that contradicts God's word, they think it's not working. Well, that's the very thing Jesus said you have to believe. You have to believe in your heart. You have to believe independent of your five physical senses that the things that you say are coming to pass. Then you'll have what you say. Are you out there? So what is the devil going to use to try to throw you off and get you out of faith and into doubt? Your five physical senses. Anything that reacts upon your five physical senses. Now Jesus, again, he explains a little bit further. He tells in verse 24 how faith works in prayer. He tells in verse 25 and 26 the greatest hindrance to faith, and that's unforgiveness. But verse 23 is basically the definition of the God kind of faith. Speaking to the mountain... And holding fast to your confession, holding fast to your belief, the thing that you said from your heart, from your spirit, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what you hear to the contrary. And if you believe that what you said from your heart will come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. Now, look with me over to to, uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is Paul telling us by the Holy Ghost how the Christian is supposed to live. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? You ask some people and they'll say, well, it's the teaching or the truth that Jesus went to the cross for us. Well, that's true, but there's more to it than that. The gospel of Christ is very simply anything and everything Jesus did for us and what belongs to us because of his sacrifice. In other words, the New Testament is the gospel of Christ. The Old Testament is an illustration of Christ. But the New Testament tells us everything about what Jesus did for us and who we are as a result. So we could say it this way. The gospel of Christ, gospel means good news. But the Old Testament is is an illustration or a pointing toward Jesus. The New Testament is a description of what we have in Jesus because of his sacrifice. We could say the gospel of Christ could very accurately and literally be defined as the word of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, or in our case, the word of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This word salvation means five things. It means to rescue, it means to deliver, it means to heal, it means to make safe, it means to make sound. So notice what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost. He's saying the word of God is the power of God to rescue you. If you need rescue, your answer is in the word. That's where the power is. Notice he doesn't say prayer is the power. And too many Christians want to pray and try to leave it up to God and and, and whatever God does, I guess that must be his will. And very seldom do they ever get any answers. Paul said by the Holy Ghost, and I'm thinking, you know, since the word of God was given by the Holy Ghost, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I'm thinking the Holy Ghost knows what he's talking about. But that's just me. But let's assume for the sake of discussion that the Holy Ghost knows what he's saying. Let's say for the sake of discussion the Holy Ghost knows what the power of God is. The Holy Ghost is saying the word of God is the power When you need to be rescued, it's not in prayer, it's in the Word. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking disparagingly of prayer. I believe in prayer as much or more than anybody. But prayer won't work unless you pray the word. So you don't start with prayer. You start with the word. Why? Because it is the word of God, the good news about Jesus, what he's done for us and who we are because of what he's done. It's the power of God to rescue you. It's the power of God to deliver you. You need deliverance from something? The answer is in the word. The power of God, the, the, uh, the word of God is the power of God to heal you. You need healing? The answer is in the word. It's not in prayer. The power of God is in his word. You need, something, you need safety in an area of your life? The good news of Jesus, the, the word of God, is the power of God to make you safe. The power of God is the, is the, the word of God, excuse me, is the power of God to make you sound or whole. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, when you understand the power of the word, when you understand the purpose of the word of God, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, of the word of God, for it is the power of God to salvation, unto salvation, rescue, deliver, heal, make safe, and make sound. To everyone that believes, to everyone that believes, to everyone that believes. Now, what is Paul saying first and foremost, again, by the Holy Ghost? Here's the Holy Ghost who's given us the word. The Holy Ghost that knows the word of God is the power of God. Notice what the Holy Ghost is saying about our attitude toward the word. You've got to believe it. Now, I wonder if he's talking about the same kind of believing that Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Or are there different kinds of believing? You think the Holy Ghost is talking about a different kind of believing than Jesus was talking about? Jesus was talking in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus was talking about believing in your heart, believing independently of your five physical senses. Now, what are we going to have to believe in if we're going to believe independently of our five physical senses? Well, Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost exactly what that is. Believe according to what the Word says instead of what you see or hear or feel. To the contrary. Believe in what the Word says about you instead of what the circumstances say. Believe what God's Word says about your body instead of what your circumstances or your symptoms say. Are you out there? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the good news of Jesus, the word of God, is the power of God for whatever you need. And who does it belong to? To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for therein, wherein, therein meaning in the word, in and through the word, for that through believing in God's word, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, folks, if, you, if you've got a reference Bible, you'll notice that there's a little letter or number or something there next to that phrase, the just shall live by faith. And you'll find out that that's an Old Testament phrase that Paul is quoting. It's in Habakkuk chapter, uh, chapter 2, I believe it is, verse 4. Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet, said, told us very clearly, here's what God's plan is, and that is for the righteous to live by their faith. Not according to works. The law of Moses was in effect when Habakkuk was on the scene and writing this letter. He's saying the righteousness of God is not revealed by keeping the law. The righteousness of God is revealed by, by living by faith. Now, what does Paul or the Holy Ghost who inspires Paul to write this mean by faith? Does he mean something other than what Jesus describes in Mark chapter 11, verse 23? Or is he talking about the same thing? Well, let's assume for the sake of discussion that he's talking about the same thing. Let's assume that this faith that's spoken of in Mark, in, uh, 
Romans chapter 1 verse 17 is the God kind of faith that Jesus describes in Mark eleven twenty three. So how are the just supposed to live? The just are supposed to live by speaking to their situations, their mountains, their problems, their circumstances. Speaking to those situations and not doubt in his heart. In other words, not operate according to what they see, hear, or feel. Their five physical senses. But believe in their heart. According to the word of God, as Romans 1.16 says. Believe in their heart that what the words they speak will come to pass. Then they will have whatsoever they say. So let's just summarize it this way. The just are supposed to live by believing according to the word of God and speaking in line with what it says. That's what Mark 11.23 means, isn't it? Speaking according to what God says and not according to the circumstances. And holding fast the confession of your faith no matter what it looks like or feels like. Paul said by the Holy Ghost that that's how the just, the righteous, are supposed to live. Now let's see if we've, we've uh, interposed and substituted some different meanings and, and different phrases one for another. Let's see if we're right. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 4. Let's see if this holds true. If it's true, if what we're saying is true, then we should, certainly should have an example of this. Well, I don't know what better example we can have than Jesus. Do you? Let's look at how Jesus operated. Matthew chapter 4. This is after Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Verse 1, then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. King James says to be tempted of the devil, but that's not the reason the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to fast and pray to, to prepare himself for the, the ministry that he just entered into. The anointing that had just come upon him by the, being baptized by John in the Jordan River. But while he was out there, as is the case with all of us, whenever we try to take a step toward God, the devil's always going to be there to try to turn us the other direction. And when he had fasted, talking about Jesus, when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was after, afterwards hungry. And when the tempter came to him, notice the tempter comes at your weakest point. He didn't come to him on day one and tempt him with food. He came, with, came to him on day 40. Or I guess really day 41 because he's already been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So after 40 days and 40 nights, then the devil comes and tries to hit him with his best shot. He said, the devil said to him, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, how does Jesus handle situations of adversity? Jesus is, is the epitome of the righteous. He was born without sin. We know that he was the son of God, even though he laid aside his heavenly power and glory. He was here on the earth without any trace, without any hint, without any any uh, residual measure of sin whatsoever. The, sin was absent in and through him. So how does the ultimate righteous man handle when the devil tries to bring something to him to turn him from his, from his, from his uh, uh, intended purpose to keep the will of God? Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, oh, I'm not hungry. The Bible says he was hungry. He didn't deny his hunger. He didn't do anything except take one simple step, and that was, quote, the Bible. Jesus quoted the Bible. Now, why are we too good to do that then? And how in the world does the modern-day church ignore this most, most, most important principle? 
See, you start talking about confession. You start going over to Mark chapter 11, verse 23, talking about a man can have what he says. And man, you'll rile up all kinds of religious people. And to be real honest with you, religious people, the modern day church, those that believe otherwise than what we're teaching, they don't have any problem with faith. Because they know Ephesians 2, 8 says that by grace are you saved through faith. They know faith is necessary for a person to be born again. They won't even argue that faith is revealed and exercised in salvation by confessing Jesus as your Lord. But religion rises its ugly head in a big, 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 big way whenever you start talking about the confession part of faith. Won't kick about the believing part. The devil never really bothers you too much about believing. All he may say every now and then, you don't have enough faith or your faith's not going to get the job done. But where he really attacks you is when you start saying what the word says. That's when he starts telling you, you don't really think that's going to happen, do you? That's when he says, now you've gone to lying. Because you can see the circumstance. He'll attack you. And his religious cronies will attack you on confession. The idea and the principle of confession way, way, way more than they will have anything to say about faith from the believing standpoint. Confession is the rub. Confession is the lightning rod. Why? Because faith is revealed by the words you speak. So what did Jesus do when the devil came to him? Jesus quoted the Bible. Jesus didn't even say, wait a minute, do you not know who I am? Of course I'm the son of God. He didn't try to prove anything. He simply quoted the Bible. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if thou be the son of God, cast yourself down for it is written. Now you got the devil quoting scripture. He can and he will. But he always twists it around and, and changes the meaning. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot upon a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again. In other words, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So how does Jesus answer the devil quoting scripture? He quotes the Bible. Again, verse 8, the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Jesus said unto him, get thee hence Satan for it is written. He said, leave me alone because here's what the Bible says. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil left him and behold the angels came and ministered unto him. You know why the devil doesn't leave most people? Because they won't quote the Bible. They may say what their pastor said or what some theologian said or some book that they read had to say. They may try to justify themselves or something like that. But there's very few Christians that will quote what God says. Very few. You want to know how to get the devil to leave you? Jesus is the perfect example. Quote the Bible. Say what God says. Now what better example do we have of the just living by faith than what we see here in Jesus' life? I mean, the argument that, well, things are different now that Jesus is raised from the dead. Even that wouldn't hold water because you're not more righteous than Jesus was when he was here on the earth. Jesus was wholly righteous and you're wholly righteous. Completely righteous. 100% righteous. You're righteous for a different reason than he was. He was righteous because he was born sinless into the earth. You're righteous because his blood paid the price for you. But it's the same righteousness. 
God said in the Old Testament, their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Well, what kind of righteousness would he have if it's not the righteousness that Jesus had when he was here on the earth? There's not two kinds. Is there? So what better example do we have of a just man, a righteous man, living by faith than what we see shown as an example in Matthew chapter 4? When the devil brought his stuff, his temptations, his intent to get Jesus to take something, Jesus quoted the Bible. Now, there's any number of things he could have tempted Jesus with. He tempted him with hunger. No question in my mind, he tempted him with hunger because Jesus was hungry. Well, what if he had tempted him with sickness? What would Jesus have done? He would have answered, it is written, and then quoted the word. What if he had tempted Jesus with poverty? Jesus would have answered, it is written, and then quoted what the Bible said. See, no matter what the devil brings you, it's all the same thing. It, works all by, it all works by the same principle. And that principle is, the way you resist the devil to get him to flee from you, James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So many Christians say, oh, Pastor Mike, I wish I could get the devil to run. Well, if you quote the Bible, he would. He's not going to run from you. But he will run from the power of God unto salvation, to rescue, deliver, and save. Well, what is that power? The word of God. So when you speak the word of God, you're speaking the power of God in his face. He won't hang around for that if you'll hold fast. Now, I want to I read to you from, uh, uh, well, let me read something to you. In August of 1991, that's been, uh, what's that? That's almost 25 years ago now. There was an article in, in Reader's Digest, and the article was entitled, Patient Knows Best. And here's what it says. A person's answer to the question, is your health excellent, good, fair, or poor? is a remarkable predictor of who will live or die over the next four years according to new findings, new back then. A study of more than 2,800 men and women, 65 and older, found that those who rate their health poor are four to five times more likely to die in the next four years than those who rate their health excellent. This was the case even if the examinations showed that the respondents to be in comparable health. In other words, it didn't matter what their health really was. If they said it was poor, then they had a four to five chance. Uh, time they were four to five times more likely to die in the next few years these findings are supported by a review of five other large studies totaling 23,000 excuse me people which reach similar conclusions according to and it gives certain people's names a sociologist at Rutgers University and a certain professor of Yale University School of Medicine co-authored uh, co-authors of the new study now I don't know how how thorough I'm able to do the research but in the research that I was able to do, I have not found one study that did anything more in those 25 years since this was published that did anything more than com, uh, confirm the same truth that these studies have found. I don't know that every doctor knows this, but every doctor certainly should know this, and that is what a patient says about their well-being has everything to do with how well they are going to be. Now, why is that? I want to take you, turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 18. I want to take you to some uh, scriptures, and forgive me if I'm going to go really fast through some of this stuff, or at least that's my intent. But I want you to see why important it is, why confession is such an important issue, why ju the just living by faith is uh, dependent on, I mean, the critical issue are the words that you speak. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 
It says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, there was no question in these studies or any studies that I'm aware of that have been done since then along the same lines where anybody was asked, are you a Christian or not, that made a difference in the results. It's not the Christians that live longer. It's not the Christians that have better health. It's not the unsaved that have better health or live longer or anything like that. It comes down to one thing, and that is the words that the individuals speak about themselves and their own well-being, their condition. That's the determining factor that these studies have found. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it, life in other words, shall eat the fruit thereof. Back up a verse to Proverbs chapter 18 verse 20. It says a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. In other words, I want to show you the building blocks for why the just live by the words that they speak. That's what the just living by faith means. Certainly was what uh, was the case in Jesus' life here on the earth. The just living by faith was Jesus quoting the word. That's what it means. The just shall live by their faith. Your faith is shown by the word of God that you answer your circumstances and situations with. A man shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Turn with me to uh, Job chapter 22. Well, I'm sorry. No point in telling you to turn to these things. I'm going to go through them too quick for you to find them. By the time you get to Job 22, I'm going to be gone. So just listen to these and make notes if you want to. Job 22, verse 28. Now, this is Job talking. This is for Job really messes up and God appears and says, Job, you are an idiot. Which is basically the book of Job. Job didn't know who was doing what. Finally wound up accusing God and God shows up and says, really? But Job, before he sinned, before he turned into thinking God was his problem... He said this, he said, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy paths or thy ways. The word decree means to decide. It, may, it can be either positive or negative. It can mean to cut down or destroy, or it can mean to, uh, to, to build up, to create. It means to decide. A man shall decree, thou shalt also decree a thing. In other words, your words is your decision for how things are going to be. Now, now, let me stop here long enough to tell you something about Job. Nobody knows when he lived. The problem with the book of Job, uh, at least the problem with a lot of the teaching I see on the book of Job, is that nobody knows what covenant he was under. And where he lived, the timeline on where he lived, had a lot to do with whether or not he was doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. Now, from, from the, the research that I've done, the, the latest in the timeline that I see anybody put Job is in the time of Abraham. The problem is Job is not listed in anybody's lineage. So nobody knows for sure where Job lived. He could have been as late as Abraham, a contemporary of Abraham. But I've seen people that put him back when Adam was still here on the earth. There are a lot of people, a lot of theologians that believe, and they might be right, I don't know. A lot of theologians believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean... That, that it was older than Genesis 1-1 when God created the earth. But it was written, the book of Job was written before God gave Moses the first five books of the Bible. And there's some evidence to support that. I don't know that it's conclusive evidence. But it's not an uncommon position for somebody to take. It's very possible that Job was the oldest book of the Bible. The first thing that was written that was added to the canon of Scripture. Well, if that was the case, then that makes a lot of difference. Let's say, for example, he was in Noah's day. Well, what co covenant did God have with Noah? Only one about the flood. 
What about if he was before Noah's day? What covenant did God have with him there? What rules was he supposed to live by then? We don't know. Nobody would have an answer for that. And so to try to determine a doctrine out of what Job did or didn't do is just foolish because we don't have enough information to know where to put him. But notice what Job knew and what Job's friends knew in the day, whenever the day was that Job lived. Your words decided how things were going to be. So let me ask you this. How far back does that go? We know certainly that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they knew that their words were the exercise or the means of exercising their authority. How do we know that? Because that's how God exercised his authority on the earth. And certainly God revealed that to him. He certainly revealed it to us when Moses wrote down the first five books of the Bible, including Genesis. So how far back does it go where God revealed to mankind that your words determine how things are going to be for you? I believe from the beginning. I believe from the time that God created Adam on the earth. It's never been a mystery except to the modern day church. It's never been a mystery that your words decide how things are going to be for you. Because the Bible's full of it. I'm going to show you if we have time to go through. And I don't know that we'll take time to do all of it. But we'll show you a few. It's going to say over and over and over again to show this principle. We just saw two of them. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you want to live a good life, recognize the value in saying the right things. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips. Shall he be satisfied? This is not a new concept, folks. This is not some new doctrine that came along with word of faith preaching. The next one I want to bring to your attention is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 7. A fool's mouth is his destruction. What destroys people? Their words. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Your words matter. The next one is Matthew chapter 12, verses, uh, well, we'll start in verse 33. Jesus has been accused of casting the devil out by the power of the devil, and he explains that the, any kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so he says in verse 33, Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. Now, what corruption or goodness is he talking about? Keep that in mind. He's going to describe it. He's going to explain it later. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? So the good things he's talking about or the evil or the corrupt things he's talking about are your words. For out of the abundance of the heart, there's the spirit again. Same heart that he's talking about in Mark chapter 11 verse 23. Believe in your heart that those things which you say shall come to pass. You'll have whatsoever you say. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth, meaning speaketh, good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth or speaks evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word, so he's talking about your words, every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Oh, where was the next one? Let's go. I'm going to skip through some of these. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. You know what the Bible's telling you? 
You know what the principle of the scripture is? You get yourself in your own trouble by your, the words of your mouth. So many Christians are looking for God to do something about their problem when they're their own problem. Their words are their own problem. The next one is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This, uh, let me read this to you from, uh, I think it's the Amplified. No, not that. A man's heart devises his way. Devise means... To fabricate or to make, to think, regard, or value, to compute. In other words, he's saying from your spirit, out of the abundance of the heart the man speaks, he's saying your spirit will determine what you're going to have in life. And the Lord will direct your steps according to your words. The next one. Um, look at Isaiah 57 or... I'm going to look at Isaiah 57, verse 19. God said this to Isaiah. He said, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. What is he saying? Now, create doesn't mean God makes you say certain things. This word create is to, to either destroy, cut down, or to create or make. In other words, God's saying, I'll do according to what I hear you speak. If you speak the words, I'll make it. The next one is Proverbs chapter 10. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs talks over and over and over again about your mouth and the things that you say. Proverbs chapter 10. Oh, I just said that one. This thing is messing up. It's not keeping them in order like I want them to. Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 6, the words of the wicked are to lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. Notice where deliverance comes from. It's almost exactly the same Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ or the word of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. One of those meanings is deliverance. It says the mouth of the, the uh, upright, righteous, shall deliver them. Well, if we put that together with Romans 1:17, the just shall live by faith, then what is the mouth of the upright going to sound like? It's going to speak... God's deliverance, no matter what the circumstance looks like. No matter what snare the devil tries to set in his path, he's always going to be talking about deliverance. He's always going to be talking about what God's doing to help him. He's always going to be talking about how God comes through. Not, oh, woe is me, why does God let this happen? Look down in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. We've seen that again before already. Not the same scripture, but a different one. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hand shall be, uh, shall be rendered unto him. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is that that speaketh like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Now, folks, there's another translation about this one that you need to be aware of, and that is this. Sickness is brought on by speaking wrong words. But the tongue of the wise is health. He's saying you'll either be sick or be well according to the words of your mouth. Now, I know I'm running out of time, so let me run through some of these, rest of these real quick. 
Uh, How about Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3? He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. The word preserve does not just mean protect, but it means to hedge about. Remember when uh, Satan appears before the Lord in the book of Job, and he says, um, Job, uh, God says, have you seen my servant Job? He's a perfect man. The devil complains. He says, well, yeah, you built a hedge about him and all of his stuff. Look, that, no wonder he serves you and worships you. Look at what you've done. Folks, a lot of times people get messed up on what you need to see about the story of Job, and that is when God considered him to be a perfect man, he protected him tremendously. Why would God make a hedge around Job when you, who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, wouldn't have access to the same hedge and protection? That's what this says. It says the lips of the wise shall preserve them. What preserves them or builds a hedge about them? Their words. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in spirit. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. This word wholesome means uh, curative, healing. Other translations will say it that way. A healing tongue is a tree of life. In other words, a mouth that speaks the blessings and the healing and the health of God is a tree of life. They operate as if they're, as if they're eating from a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach in spirit. Now, this is something you need to know. When the Bible talks about breaches in spirits and perverseness and so forth, more than, off, more than not, it's talking about your words. It's talking about your words. For example, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says, For he that will love good li- uh, I'm sorry, for he that will love life and see good days, let him eschew his lips from his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Now the word guile means deceit. Now, what does it mean if you want to live, if you love long life and you want to see good days, that you're supposed to not speak deceit? What does that mean? Does that mean you shouldn't be somebody that tries to trick other people? That's not what it's talking about. The guile and the deceit means anything that contradicts what God's word says. Because God's word is the power of God to save, heal, deliver, and save. Save, heal, deliver, rescue, and so forth. So where it says his lips shall speak no guile, it means his lips won't quote the devil instead of quoting the Bible. Remember the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies? So anything that he says when he's not quoting the word is a lie. And so many times people go to prayer and they say, Oh, God, look at all this happening to me. If God could answer and would answer the way that we talk to one another as human beings, I have no doubt that God would would answer so many people's prayers by saying, Would you please quit quoting the devil to me? And that's exactly what he's talking about. A perverseness of the lips... It's what Jesus said, either make the tree good or make the tree corrupt. Corrupt speech is talking about speaking contrary to the word of God. Now, remember, Jesus said that that's doubting in your heart. It's operating according to what you see and feel and and your five physical senses. He said that's what will stop faith from working, is doubt in the heart. Operating according to your five physical senses. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs is a breach in spirit. Perverseness of the lips is a breach in spirit. It'll cut you off from the spiritual blessings that Jesus has obtained for you. Folks, this is not new and it's not isolated. It's over and over and over again through Scripture. 
Proverbs chapter 15 verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright or rightly. How? By quoting the Bible. Same thing Jesus did when he was tempted of the devil. But the mouth of the fools pours out foolishness. Let me finish this up real quick. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Adds learning to his lips. What do we have to learn? We have to learn to answer our problems with what the Bible says. We have to learn to quote the Bible. Because that's what the just living by faith is all about. Also in Proverbs chapter 16, in verse... Well, look at verse 24. It says, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. What's health to your bones? Pleasant words. The word pleasant means agreeableness. Agreeableness. Agreeable with what? Agreeable with God's word. Words spoken that agree with what the word of God says, agrees with what the Bible says Jesus has done for us, are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to your bones. You have a problem with your bones? Ever get a diagnosis where you have a bone problem? Here's what the Bible says to do about it. Speak health from your, the Word of God. Agree with the Word of God. Uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to look at the rest of those. Um, turn with me to. Uh, let me close with this. Turn with me to James chapter two. James chapter 2, um, I think I've got the wrong one, I think I've got the wrong reference. Look back at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That just simply means lay aside the things of the world and focus on the word of God and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I want you to realize that Christians can be self-deceived. How are Christians self-deceived? Well, he's going to explain how. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, <coughs> he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, meaning a mirror. So what's the mirror he's talking about? The word of God. You look in the word of God at what Jesus has done for you and who you are in Christ. That's like seeing yourself in a mirror. But if you're just a hearer and not a doer, you see yourself in the mirror. Verse, 14, verse 24, for he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man that he was. In other words, he doesn't remember what the word says that he is. Or who the word says he is and what the word says he has. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. How do you continue in the word? Remember Joshua 1.8? This book of the law, meaning the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do, to be a doer, according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, is the Holy Ghost, or, or God literally, that told Joshua how to have success in his life in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, is he talking about doing the word in a different way than the Holy Ghost inspired James to write a couple of thousand years later? Or is it the same doing the word 
just being explained in different ways. James uses the example of seeing yourself in the Word of God, seeing the Word of, that identifies who you are and what you have in Christ. God told Joshua, Here's, he didn't even have the Word of God. He had the books of Moses, but that's all he had. He didn't have the knowledge of who we are because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So what did he have? He had the truth of what God had done for the children of Israel, basically the history of what God had done for the children of Israel through Moses. So what did he tell Joshua? He said, this book of the law, the word of God, what you've got, the first five books of Moses, shall not depart out of your mouth. Say what you've heard. Say what you've heard. That's the only way something cannot depart from your mouth because as soon as you say it, it's gone. Well, how do you keep it from departing from your mouth? You say it again. What is God teaching Joshua about the way to success? It's dependent on what you say. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. That's another thing you need to know. Speaking the word of God is meditating in the word of God. Now, I'm not talking about speaking the word of God in some kind of ritualistic form. See how many times you can run through it. Meditating in the word of God is speaking it and considering and thinking about what you're saying. Because the more you say it and the more you think about what's being said and what God said about you, the more revelation and the more light will come on the inside of you. But thou shalt meditate therein. How? By speaking the word of God. For then, uh, what, do you, what do you do that for? Why do you speak and meditate in the word of God? That thou might do according to all that's written therein. In other words, here's how you become a doer of the word. This is what the guy did not do in James chapter 1. The forgetful hearer saw who he was but didn't continue, didn't say it, didn't, didn't meditate in it. Just said it, saw it and said, wow, that's great. But then went his way and forgot anything about it. But the one who's the doer of the word continues by speaking and meditating in the word consistently. He says, this man will be blessed in his deed. That's the same thing Joshua said, or God told Joshua. Then you'll have good success. Then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. Now, let's keep reading here. Because James is, James is dealing with people. He's a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he's dealing with people that are having what we would, might call faith failures. I don't believe there's any such thing. I believe there are times where we thought we were in faith that we weren't. But that's not a faith failure. That's a personal failure. That's a failure of ignorance, not a failure of faith. But there are all kinds of things where people claim to believe God and claim to be believing God about something and not get the answer. And pastors are the ones that are left with the, picking up the pieces of those things. So James deals with this stuff a lot. He talks in James chapter 1, the earlier part of the chapter, he talks about the man that wavers. Don't let the man that wavers think that he'll receive anything from God. How do you waver in faith? Same way Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Doubt in your heart. Operate according to your five physical senses instead of hold fast your confession based on what God's word says. He says the man that wavers shouldn't expect to think it, to receive anything from God. The man that changes what he's saying shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. Let's keep reading here. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, this is James 1.25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer. Why? Because he continues to speak the word. But a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Verse 26 is what I want you to see. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth or controlleth not his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Notice what James says about deceiving your own heart. How do you deceive your heart? By having a, 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 an attitude that 
yeah, I believe in God and, and, and I believe in the Word. I believe the Word of God is God's Word to me. And then saying something contrary to what the Bible says is yours or who you are. Acting like you believe one thing but saying another. The Bible says that's deceiving your heart. It's the same thing James is talking about earlier in the chapter where he's talking about the man that wavers. He's deceiving his own heart. And notice he says, this man's religion is vain. This man's religion is vain. Now, how many people do you know in the body of Christ, personal friends, perhaps, how many people do you know that believe and would claim, yes, the Bible is God's word to me, but say everything other than what the Bible says? That's pretty common in the modern day church. How many people do you know that are praying for God to do something for them when all the time they're speaking against what you know the Bible says is theirs? Now let me ask you a question. How's God going to answer that prayer? If you've got somebody that's praying for healing and talking about how sick they are, how's God going to answer that prayer? In order to answer that prayer, he would have to violate his word because God sent his word and healed us. He would have to violate his word to show his power independent from and in contradiction to what he said his power was, would do for them. Meaning the power of the confession. He would have to violate his word to answer somebody's prayer. And when he doesn't violate his word and answer their prayers, the church, modern day church, most modern day Christians, go around saying, I don't understand why God's letting this happen to me. God can't win. I hope you know what I mean by that. God always wins, but you know what I mean. With the wrong belief of so many Christians, he can't win because they won't follow the very simple principle that's told us hundreds of times throughout Scripture, and that is God will deal with you according to the words that you speak. You can have what you say. Yet they pray, oh, Lord, deliver me. Well, he's already told you where the power for deliverance comes from. It comes from speaking the word. It comes from operating just exactly the same way Jesus did. And that is quoting the Bible when you face tests and trials and troubles. But so many Christians are saying whatever they feel like saying. Whatever the circumstances are or whatever they appear to be. And then they're praying, God do something about this. How? How can he? Are you out there? If any man among you seem to be religious, have the appearance thereof, and bridleth or controlleth not his tongue, this man deceives his own heart, and his religion is vain. How do you deceive your heart? By speaking in contradiction to or opposition to what the Word of God says about your situation. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I can't deny the fact that I'm sick. Well, nobody's asking you to deny anything. You don't have to deny anything to quote what God says. Yeah, but I started doing that and the devil accused me of lying. He's going to accuse you of lying when you're saying what God said? If God said it, it can't be a lie. You know how the Bible says that God's not a man that he should lie? Or the son of man that he should repent? Has he spoken it and shall he not make it good? Has he said it and shall it not come to pass? You know how the Bible says that, uh, um, that, uh, that God's word always comes to pass and, and in a number of ways? He always watches over his word to perform it. Do you know why it's impossible for God to lie? Because every word God speaks has creative power. If he said it, it will be. Every word God speaks is a container of faith and power. 
because that's who he is. So whatever God says will be for anybody that takes hold of it and says it with him. That's why it's impossible for him to lie. That's why he's very careful with his words. I believe we should follow that example. Because when you speak God's word, you're speaking the same creative powered word. Power-filled, faith-filled word that he spoke that always comes to pass. That's why it's impossible for God to lie. For the same reason, when you say what he says, it's impossible for you to lie. Tell that to the devil next time he accuses you of lying. Now, there are a lot of things that the Bible says about you and who you are in Christ and what belongs to you that totally contradicts your circumstances. So there are a lot of times where it would be wise for you to say, according to the word of God, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Because that way you can avoid the devil's attack by saying, oh, you're not really healed. You're not saying you're healed, are you? I'm saying I am according to the word of God. See, I'm speaking out of my heart, not according to five, my five physical senses. Because Jesus said, if I speak to my situation and believe in my heart that the words that I say will come to pass, I will have whatsoever I say. Why? Because I've spoken God's faith and power-filled words, and it's impossible for them not to come to pass. Boy, if we understood the word of God that we have access to, we'd have a whole lot less trouble with the devil. But so often people bless their hearts. They'll tune up and cry and, and tear up. And uh, Pastor Mike, it's just been so tough. Well, tell me all about it. Tell me how bad it is. Tell me how, how much you hurt. Tell me how bad you feel about it. Because after all, you, the Bible says you can have what you say. So line up. I won't do it all the time, but every now and then, I'll just let somebody go with it. There was one time a lady came. She wasn't part of our church, and she didn't want to hear anything that I had to say. She just wanted to tell me her story. So I stood there, and I decided, all right, I'll devote 10 minutes to this lady. And for 10 minutes, this woman did not take a breath. She went through her story again and again and again. And finally, at the end, I said, well, thanks for sharing. According to your faith, be it unto you. She said, you're not going to pray? And I said, what in the world would I pray about? You've just told me how you're sick and how you're going to be sick and how your mama was sick and his sickness has run through your family. What in the world would I pray about? Well, I want you to pray that God would heal me. I said, how's he going to do that? He's already said you'll have whatever you say, and the only thing you've said is you're sick, you're sick, you're sick. I'm supposed to pray some prayer and overcome God's word, God's eternal word that can't change? You've got to be kidding she said, well, I've been told that you weren't a very loving pastor. <laughs> I said, well, if that's the definition, you're right, lady. I'm not. How many times do we do the same thing? We want to curl up in God's lap and just complain. Anybody ever found that to help? No, the spiritual truth is still, the spiritual law is still in effect, and that is you have whatever you say. Folks, we could take the next hour and go through more scriptures, even some of the ones I've already got listed that we didn't read. Again and again and again, the Bible tells you, your words govern your life. You will have what you say. As a matter of fact, and this is not always good news, you have right now what you've been saying. But if you've been saying the wrong thing, don't worry. You can turn it around. You can dig up bad crops and plant good crops. How do you do that? By speaking the word of God. If you want to know what the just living by faith means, look at Jesus. When he was faced with the devil, 
and the devil's attack and the devil's temptations and the devil's stuff, he quoted the Bible. If it was good enough for him, shouldn't it be good enough for us? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege to know the truth. We thank you, Father, that by our words we are justified and by our words we're condemned. Rather than being concerned about that, Father, or taking that as a bad thing, we recognize that we can change our circumstances and our situations by speaking your word because death and life is in the power of our tongues. Death and life in our circumstances and situations is in the power of our words. Therefore, Father, we choose to walk by faith. In every situation the devil comes against us, we'll quote what, you were, what your word says. We'll quote the Bible. We'll say what God's word says because that's the power of God brought to bear in our circumstance. That's the power of God to rescue us and deliver us and save us and heal us, to make us safe and to make us sound. Thank you, Father, for your power that's always available to us. It's as close as our, as our lips. We choose, Father, to speak your word and speak only your word. Therefore, we thank you, Father, that we're, our lives will be satisfied with good by the fruit of our lips and will increase as we speak increase with our mouths, physically, financially, and every other way. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.